Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page. We are starting a new series here at Christ Community Church and it will be taking place over the next five weeks. We're going to be digging in and studying the book of James. And we have these as resources here in, in our church uh, facility. And we just we thought what we'd like to do is make them available to you so that you can even look ahead and begin to think ahead and begin to understand the book of James just a little better. So maybe you can set this by your nightstand in your quiet time. You can look through this and you can read ahead a little bit concerning what will be taught next weekend. As a matter of fact, one of the things that we are doing uh, next, well, starts this weekend, actually. As you were walking in, I don't know if you noticed it or not, but right at the end of the ramp, there was a little table there and a little sign on it that simply said, Ask a Pastor. And there was a bowl there and some cards that basically looked like this, where it says, Ask a Pastor. Now, what we're, what we're doing is we're looking for ways that we, as, as the guys who are up here teaching and, and preaching from the, from the stage, we're looking for ways to allow you to ask questions regarding what's upcoming, regarding the upcoming sermon. And so next week, Matt is going to be preaching, and he's, he's going to be dealing with uh, James chapter 1, beginning in verse 19, all the way through chapter 2. And I, I know you don't know exactly what it says right now, but it's the area that deals with faith and works. And so if you have questions related to faith and works, are we saved by faith alone? Are we saved by works alone? Are we saved by faith and works? What's the deal there? If you have any questions regarding anything in that text, what we invite you to do is take the card and jot down a question and then place it in the bowl. Now, realizing you don't have time today to read ahead and get your questions together, what you, you have the option to email those questions to us. We'd like to have the questions by Wednesday, if possible, at the latest. That way, the, the one who is doing the preaching that coming weekend will be able to look at the questions and handle them. Now, we don't have time to handle all the questions all the time. So, on, on the card is a little place at the bottom, and it says, Name and Email. Now, that's optional. You don't need to put your name down there. But if we don't address your question from the stage, if we don't have time to do that, then we will respond to your question directly to you through the email. Okay, that's, that's the plan. And so I invite you to, to just jump in there because there's nothing better than coming to an understanding of the Scripture. And so if you have questions, and there are no dumb questions, if you have questions, ask them. Ask them, and then we'll do our best to answer those as we can. And I'll actually be doing one of those today. Now, I'm going to go ahead and do this. We're going to fly through this message, but um, I, I want to share with you a, a story. I, I was looking at, at some accounts online about, so you think you've had a bad day. You think you've had a bad day. Well, how about this? And so I want to share with you this bad day this one guy had, and I'm reading to you what he wrote on his insurance report uh, because the insurance wanted more information regarding the accident, and here's what he wrote. I'm a bricklayer by trade. On the day of the accident, I was working alone on the roof of a new six-story building. When I completed my work, I discovered that I had about 500 pounds of bricks left over. 
Rather than carry the bricks down by hand, I decided to lower them in a barrel by using a pulley, which fortunately was attached to the side of the building at the sixth floor. Securing the rope to the, at ground level, I went up to the roof, swung the barrel out, and loaded the bricks into it. Then I went back to the ground and untied the rope, holding it tightly to ensure a slow descent of the 500 pounds of bricks. I weigh 135 pounds. Do... You know where this is going. Do, you're, you're talking about a bad day, getting ready to happen. Due to my surprise at being jerked off the ground so suddenly, I lost my presence of mind and forgot to let go of the rope. Needless to say, I proceeded at a rather rapid rate up the side of the building. In the vicinity of the third floor, I met the barrel coming down. This, this explains the fracture in the skull and broken collarbone. Slowed only slightly, I continued my rapid ascent, not stopping until the fingers of my right hand were two knuckles deep into the pulley. Fortunately, by this time, I had regained my presence of mind and was able to hold tightly to the rope in spite of my pain. At approximately the same time, however, the barrel of bricks hit the ground and the bottom fell out of the barrel, devoid of the weight of the bricks. The barrel now weighed approximately 50 pounds. Well, as you might imagine, I began a rapid descent down the side of the building. In the vicinity of the third floor, I met the barrel coming up. This accounts for the two fractured ankles and lacerations of my legs and lower body. The encounter with the barrel slowed me enough to lessen my injuries when I fell onto the pile of bricks, and fortunately, only three vertebrae were cracked. I'm sorry to report, however, that as I lay there on the bricks in pain, unable to move and watching the barrel six stories above, I again lost my presence of mind. I let go of the rope. Uh, yeah, so, um, so you think you had a bad day. To today we are going to be sharing, we're, we're going to be looking at James chapter 1 verses 1 through 12, and we're going to be talking about trials and tribulations and difficulties that come into our lives. And I don't know about you, but if you're like me, whenever I'm going through a struggle, whether it's just an internal struggle in my mind, whether it's a physical struggle, which many of you have been going through with this nasty virus that's been going around, and, and some are not here this morning simply because of that very thing, trying to heal up from this stuff. But no matter what the situation, no matter if it's a little bump in the road or if it's a real serious thing that's going on in your life, when I go through those things, I tend to feel like the only one in the entire world that's going through that. How many of you feel like that? You just feel like you're the only one. Now, so that you don't feel like you're the only one, let me simply ask you this question. For everyone gathered in this room, how many of you this morning, right now, right here and right now, are going through a season in your life? It might be a small bump in the road or it might be something much more serious. How many of you are going through a difficult time in your life? Raise your hand. Now, those of you who see those hands around you, a number of people raise their hands because we are all dealing with struggles. This one thing is sure. You are either getting ready to go through a time of trial... You're in the middle of a time of trial, or you've just come through a time of trial. But we all share that because that's a part of life. And, and it's really interesting to note, and we're going to do this this morning, it's interesting to note how God uses those difficulties, whether we bring them on ourselves, or Satan brings them on, or God even brings them on, 
God uses those difficulties in our life to actually cause something good to come out of it. Romans 8.28 says that all things work together for the good of those who love the Lord and are called according to His purpose. I want you all to say all things. All things. All things work together. Not some of them. Even the current, so you guys who raise your hands, even the current situation that you find yourself in, even God can take that and work it together for your good and for His glory. Okay, that's His promise in Scripture. If you will, take your Bibles, and if you don't have your Bibles, we'll be on the screen overhead. Go to the book of James chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 1 to 12, and then we're going to kind of tear this, verse, this section apart a little bit with the words. Okay. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations. That means Israel, and he's specifically talking to Jewish Christians, Christians who have come to faith in Christ. I mean, Jews who have come to faith in Christ. Verse 2. Consider it pure joy, highlight pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know, highlight you know, you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Verse 3, let, let, I mean, verse 4, excuse me, let, highlight the word let, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position. But the rich should take pride in their humiliation, since they will pass away like a wild flower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and, and withers the plant. It bloss, its, blossom, <clears throat> excuse me, its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. And so what I want you to know, what we're doing this morning is, is I am driving towards verse 12. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trials and tests. Blessed is that person. We're driving towards that. And at the end, you're going to see how that blessing actually does happen. You'll see one great testimony about that. Now, how do we view and how do we handle the various trials that we encounter as followers of Jesus Christ. Here's what I'd like to do. We're going we're gonna to look at this passage. We're going to start in verse 2. You have your bulletins. You turn to the sermon notes in your bulletins, and we'll walk through this together. Here's what James says to you and to me regarding the various trials that we go through. The first thing he says is that you're to consider it pure joy. I don't know about you, but whenever difficulty strikes me, Pure joy is not what comes to mind. As a matter of fact, it's, it's the last thing that comes to mind. And, but when we talk about joy here, we're not talking about, oh, get happy about it, get giddy about it. It's not about that. Because the situation you're going through may be absolutely devastating to you, maybe actually a horrible situation that provides no happiness and no comfort. But joy, joy simply means 
Contentment as, the res- as a result of your obedience to God. Contentment that takes place inside the heart even though the world around you seems to be falling apart. And so James says, when you're going through trials, no matter what kind, various trials, he says, consider it pure joy. Be content inside knowing some things, which we'll talk about in just a, just a few minutes. The idea that, you, that when you become a Christian, and this is an idea that I, I really lost on when I, when I first became a Christian. I, I really had wrong. The idea that when you become a Christian, that God is going to take your life and make it all nice and tidy... And everything is going to just work out for you because you're in a right relationship with God now. That idea isn't in the Bible. It's it's not found there. As a matter of fact, Jesus first would say to those who were his disciples, Don't be surprised when the world hates you. Don't be surprised when the world treats you evilly. Don't be surprised when you go through trials because that is a part of following Christ. Okay, And then Paul would even go on to say that you can't be surprised at trials. Peter would say, you can't be surprised at trials because they are coming. We aren't exempt just because we have become followers of Jesus Christ, just because we've become Christian. But there are people we can look at in the Scripture who have gone through trials, and we can see that they have, they have actually... They have actually been able to have joy in their life in the midst of the trial. Let me, let me give you some examples just real quick. There's Abraham and Sarah. Abraham and Sarah, Sarah was barren. She couldn't have children. But yet God promised Abraham and Sarah they would have a child. And finally, finally, listen, finally, when God came through with that, and I'm talking about years later, I mean, this is a trial they're walking around with for a long time. When we're talking about years later, God finally blesses Abraham and Sarah with a son, and they name him Isaac. And Isaac grows up. I mean, they are so happy. They're elated for what God's done. You've come through on your promise. But as Isaac grows up, God talks to Abraham, and he says to Abraham, Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take your son, your only son. That's how the Scripture says it. Take your son, your only son, and I want you to sacrifice him to me. Talk about a trial. Now, what's interesting when you read it is, and it'll cause a question for you, when you read it, Abraham says, okay, he's obedient, and he takes Abraham to go and sacrifice him without asking any questions. And we kind of go, okay, that's kind of nuts. I think I'd be rebelling about that time. So what are you talking about? This is the craziest thing I've ever heard. But he doesn't question. Why doesn't he question? Well, it wasn't so much at that point in time, I think, at that point in time that he had this great faith in the Lord. Eventually he does. But he was in a culture where many gods were worshipped. And among the many gods that were worshipped in that culture, child sacrifice was a normal expectation. And so he just is figuring, well, this God wants me to go do exactly what all the other gods are telling all their people to do. But this is where God is setting himself apart. This is where God is setting himself above all the other gods. Because by the time Abraham gets to the mountain where he's going to build the altar, the scripture says that he believed that even if he killed his son, that he was talking to a God who had the power to even raise the dead. And so he goes through with it. His son is laid down on the altar, and Abraham, Abraham... 
Come on, say Abraham again. Not you guys. I'm looking at Josh because this is so cool. This is so cool. Abraham is, has the knife raised to kill his son, and God says, stop. You don't need to go through it. Because I'm not demanding like the other gods are demanding of the life of your son. I'm going to be your God who is above all those other gods. And Abraham considered that joy. So Abraham, you know why this is the sign? Because this is Abraham coming down with the knife, and this is God stopping his hand. Now, isn't that cool? Okay, that's, that's the sign language. So that's, that's why I kept saying Abraham. Abraham. Yes. Okay. So, so now we'll press on. There's, there's Job. How about Job? Job, when, when God lifted, the scripture says he lifted the hedge of protection from Job, the angel, I, I mean Satan was given the authority to inflict all kinds of suffering on Job, but he wasn't permitted to harm or kill Job. He wasn't permitted to kill Job. So what does Satan do? Satan takes absolutely everything from Job. All of his cattle, all of his servants, all of his buildings, even his ten children. In one day, in one fell swoop, all you have to do is read Job chapter 1. In one fell swoop, it's news after news after news after news of devastation. And here is Job who has lost everything except for his wife. And his wife looks at him and says, curse God and die. And I understand why she did that. Because I would have that same temptation and so would you. But Job's response in the midst of all that adversity, what does he do? He says, naked I came into the world and naked I will leave. I came in with nothing, I'll leave with nothing. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Even in the midst of a trial that would absolutely inundate you and inundate me, Job could give blessing back to God because he knew that God was there. We'll talk about that in a little more in just a second. And then there's Paul who was given a thorn in the flesh and he prayed to God, please take this away from me, whatever this disease was. Please take this away from me. He says, I prayed three times that he would do that. But the Lord replied and said, my grace is sufficient for you in your weakness. And Paul said, so I will boast gladly about my weaknesses because when I am weak, then I'm strong. Doesn't it sound good? Doesn't it stink to be in that place, though? I want a dark Spartan kind of thing. I do. I want a little salve that when I have this nasty scar here, I just rub that sucker on and, and it goes away. It just heals up. I want that kind of stuff. And I don't want it to take long. I don't want it to be like Abraham where it took years and years and years. And I don't want it to be like Job where, where it took years and years and years for him to finally be blessed with all the things that God blessed him with. And I certainly don't want it to be like Paul where God says, look, you're just going to have to live with it. But I'm going to be with you through it. Count it pure joy. Second thing, this is how we view it. 
where he says in verse 3, you know. And I want to read verse 3 because we want to figure out what do we know. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Okay? So what do we know? Through various scripture, this is, this is what we know. You see this in your outline. First of all, know this. God is at work in your life. That's why you can count it pure joy. Even though you feel like you're the only one and that no one understands, understand this. God is at work in your life. The second thing you need to understand, and this is a big thing, God, at the least, is allowing this trial to take place in your life. He's allowing this trial to take place in your life. Well, wait a second, but if he's God, Rick, and this is one of the things that keep people away from the faith quite a bit, if he's God, why doesn't he just fix it? Why doesn't he just make it all better? I mean, if he's in control, why does he want us to struggle like this? I mean, if, he, if he's loving and if, he's, if he wants to take care of us, why doesn't he take care of us instead of have us go through all of this difficulty? Why doesn't he just do it? We'll talk about that in just a little bit. But God, at the very least, is, is allowing these things to take place in our lives. And we, we can know that He's allowing it because the Scripture says that in a number of places. Third thing, you'll, you'll see under you know what, God will give you the capacity to endure. He will give you the capacity to endure. It's over in the book of 1 Corinthians where Paul writes and says that He will not give us more than we can bear, but he will, he will even provide a way of escape while we were, are in the middle of what we are dealing with. Over in the book of 1 Corinthians. I have that passage. You can look it up. That passage is, is uh, in, in the bulletin as well. And then the last part of this, we know what? He, sa- he says, you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. This, this is, the trial is a test of your faith with a purpose in mind. The word test is a real interesting word. It's a picture word in the Greek. And and here's the picture. It's a word that's used for a silversmith. And the silversmith, he'll take he'll take raw silver and 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 in the smelting process, he's going to heat it up to 1640 degrees. He is going to turn up the heat on this raw silver. And when he does, this silver is going to liquefy. And when it liquefies, here's what happens. When the heat is turned up, all the impurities come to the surface, the dross. Here it comes, up to the surface. And then he takes a skimmer, and he goes across the surface of that liquid silver, and he skims off all the dross. He skims off all the impurities. How does the silversmith know that all the impurities are out of that silver? He knows when he can look into that liquid silver and see his own reflection. When he sees his reflection, then he knows he has almost 100% pure silver. That's how he does it. The way God works in your life and my life is he oftentimes allows the heat to get turned up. And when it gets turned up, what happens is all the nastiness... All the impurities come floating right to the top. Here it comes, and it comes pouring out. And when it comes pouring out, what God is able to do, don't miss this because you can miss it and totally miss the opportunity for God to do a good work in your life. When it comes pouring out, 
right then get it dealt with before God. Because he's bringing the impurities to the surface so that you and he, working together, can deal with getting that dross, that ugliness, out of your life so that you can, he, when, when he looks at you, he sees his reflection in your life. And when others look at you, they see the reflection of Christ in your life. So trials are not comfortable, not at all. But know this, God's at work, and the test is bringing the impurities up so that God can get rid of those impurities. But before he can get rid of them, he's got to point them out to you. You have to be aware of them. Okay, third thing, the word let in verse 4. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Simply put, don't fight against what God is doing in your life. Because here's what's going to happen. When you're going through a trial, when I'm going through a trial, we've got one or two responses. One response is we are going to, we're going to throw our shoulders back and, and, and we're going to fight God on this. And, and when you fight the trial that is coming into your life, when you find yourself fighting it and, and cussing it and just wishing this, this whole mess would go away, what happens is when you don't see what God's doing is you tend to become hardened and more bitter. That's what happens. But what James is saying, he says, let it happen. Let it happen, meaning allow the trial. Receive the trial, even though you don't want it. Receive the trial because you know that when this trial is over, you are going to be more mature. You are going to be complete, not lacking in anything, he says. And so let it happen. That's the essence of what he's saying there in verse 4. In verse 5 and 6, this is kind of interesting because he says, in verse 4, he says, let it happen so that uh, you can be more mature and more complete, not lacking anything. And then in the very same thought, he's not changing thoughts here. He's, he's still tracking this. This isn't a new subject. He says, so not lacking anything. But if you do lack wisdom, then you need to ask and believe. And that's the next thing I have for you there. This is the next way that we handle the trial. Now that we recognize what's going on and we find ourselves lacking wisdom from God, then now we need to ask God for wisdom and believe that he will give it and he will give it to you generously. Now listen, wisdom doesn't mean here the capacity to make great decisions all the time. Okay, you're going to be, you're going to be the sage on top of the mountain. You're going to grow white hair and a white beard and people are going to come up to you and ask you all kinds of questions because God's given you wisdom. That's not the word here. The word for wisdom here simply means the ability to see things through God's eyes. Okay? The ability to have a view from God's perspective of what's going on in your life. And so if your life is going through a trial right now, what do you want? Well, you want what I want. I want to know, God, what's going on? And so instead of becoming embittered to it, what I need to do is I need to ask him, and God, please show me through your eyes what you're doing because I can't see it right now. I don't understand it. And that's what he's talking about with wisdom there. So if you lack it, ask for it, and don't just ask for it. Believe that he's going to show it to you. 
Believe that while you're in the middle of this trial, and I know a number of you in this room right now are in the middle of a trial. Believe that in the middle of this trial, God has the capacity to let you in on seeing your trial through his eyes. And I know it costs you. I know it's painful. I know it's frustrating. But yet God is at work. Now, we keep on going. The fifth thing here is an interesting statement in verses 9 and 10 where he simply, he's going to use this phrase, and it's a play on words, obviously. Take pride in humiliation. He uses two words that are exactly opposite of each other, and he puts them together and says to the rich, he says, take pride in your humiliation. Actually, here's what he has in mind. First of all, in this section, he'll say to the poor, the poor believer in Christ, that you can take, you can take pride in, in humiliation because you know that you are in poverty right now, lacking many good things, but yet you know that you have a greater reward. And so you take pride in the fact that the day is coming when you won't be in poverty anymore, not because God's going to give you a million bucks, but because one day you're going to be in the presence of your King and Savior, Jesus. And then he says to the wealthy, he says, take pride when you're humiliated. Now, what does he mean here? Well, here's exactly what he has in mind. For Christians, life was extremely, extremely difficult back in this time. Major persecution going on. And so rich people who had come to faith in Christ all of a sudden were losing all that they had. Listen, what happens to you when you lose all that you have worked for? What would happen if tomorrow you discovered that your bank account is empty, your retirement account is empty, and you have nothing? Rather than jumping out of windows here, James says what you're to do is you're to take pride in your humiliation because you know that really everything in the world falls apart. Everything fails you're eventually going to the grave with nothing. As Job said, naked I came into this world and naked I'm leaving it. Came in with nothing, leaving with nothing. But the reason we can take pride even when everything is falling apart is because we know that we have a greater richness in Christ because even though this is all temporary, we're going to be with Him one day. So your trial... Your trial may be devastating to you, and it looks like you're losing everything, but you can even take pride in the fact that God can see you through that. All right? There we go. That's verses 9 and 10. Now, before we get to the result in your outline, I want to deal with the question that was handed to me regarding this, this issue. By the way, last night, this was so cool, last night, Someone came in to the service and just saw the table sitting there. They didn't have a clue what Ask a Pastor was about. And so they just they stopped by the table and they just wrote down a question, threw it in the bowl. After they wrote down the question, threw it in the bowl, after the service, that person took that thing out of the bowl and came to me and handed it to me. He goes, you're not going to believe this. And the question he wrote was, why do Christians have to go through trials? And how do you handle them? having no clue what we were doing in here tonight or, or, or last night. It was really cool. Here was the question, though, that I received from someone who knew what we were talking about. 
I've heard that God uses trials and tribulations to discipline us or draw us closer. If this is true, why does he do that if God is love? And, and I, so, so here's how I respond to that. First is this. Just because there's a presence of a trial in your life, no matter how big it is, doesn't mean an absence of God's love. Are you with me? Just because you're going through a trial doesn't... I know sometimes we feel like God's thrown in the towel on us, but no. It doesn't mean that His love is absent from us simply because we're going through a trial. Actually, we'll find out, and and this this will help us understand, it, it actually helps us understand how much He loves us. If you're a parent, and most of you here have raised a kid or two, um, how do you express your love to your children? Well, we, we express our love in many ways, a, a variety of ways, but certainly one of the ways we do it is when we see our children misbehaving and we see the ugliness of sin rear up in their life, off comes the belt. Rick, go cut down the switches. Do whatever you have to do, and you're, well, you guys don't do that anymore. Go to timeout. Oh, yeah, yeah, and, and yeah, you can take your toys with you. I think timeout's really for the parents' sake. Whew. Give me a break. Anyway, however you do it, here's what I know. You do it because love motivates you. You don't want this little one that you're raising to turn into a hellion. And so what you do is you, out of love, discipline them, not so that you can hurt them and say, there, take that. You do that so they can be molded into being what they are to be as as growing children and then into adulthood. There's nothing worse than, than seeing people who have never experienced discipline in their lives because they're spoiled expecting everything going their way and, and they become demanding, they become difficult. So, so the, the presence of trials, you understand this, doesn't mean that God doesn't love you. Actually, the presence of difficulties in our life oftentimes is God showing His love to you. You're going the wrong direction, Rick. You're going the wrong direction. Come on, come on, trust me. I'm with you in this, and I know I'm turning up the heat, but I'm bringing all those impurities up because i got to get rid of them. I want people to see Christ in you. I want them to see me in you. And, and I'm not anybody special. He's doing that for all of us, all of us who call on his name. Now, the result, by the way, I'll just hit this one, one other time before we look at the result real quick. I want to remind you next week Matt's preaching, and he's going to be dealing with that whole issue of faith and works. Part of it, he's talking about the power of the tongue, and that will come in in chapter 3 when Scott preaches as well. Interesting stuff. It will be a good, they will be good messages. They will instruct, but if there's questions you have, just, just ask them. Email them, put, that, put it on the card. Make sure we have them by Wednesday if you can. That would be really helpful for us um, to be able to deal with your questions. Okay, the result. The result of persevering through trials is a blessing because he says, blessed is the one who perseveres. Now, this is, I'm going to share this with you, and then we're going to watch a video. 
You want to talk about a trial. And I'm not minimizing yours or mine. Listen to this. Dick and Judy Hoyt gave birth to a son. His name, really cool name. His name was Rick. Um, during the delivery, Rick was deprived of oxygen because of the cord wrapped around the neck. And as a result, he was a quadriplegic with cerebral palsy. Dick and Judy were advised to institutionalize Rick because he had no chance at recovery. They worked hard to integrate Rick into public life. They found technology that helped him communicate by tapping his head against the headrest on his wheelchair so, they, so that he could spell out words on a computer screen. Rick went on to graduate from high school and college. When he was 15, he heard about a boy in his school who was paralyzed as a result of a car accident. A five-mile benefit run had been planned to help the family offset medical costs. Rick told his dad that he wanted to run that race. Dick Hoyt, not being in any kind of shape to run, told his son that he would help his son run that race. And since that time, what's now known as Team Hoyt has run in over a thousand races globally, including six Ironman triathlons. Talk about persevering through trials. Watch this with me. I can only imagine what my eyes will see when your face is before me. I can only imagine. To my knees will I fall, will I sing hallelujah, will I be able to speak at all, I can only imagine, I can only imagine, I can only imagine, when that day comes, and I find myself Standing in the sun, I can only imagine when all I would do is forever, forever worship you. I can only imagine, yeah. I can only imagine. To my knees will I fall, will I sing hallelujah, will I be able to speak at all, I can only imagine, 
They were, the last time they were going to run their race was the, they wanted to close in the Boston Marathon. That's where they're from. And so they, after all these races, they decided to end with that. When they were at mile 22 from the finish line, there were police everywhere. Not knowing what had happened, Dick pulled over to the side with the wheelchair and inquired, and they said that there were a couple of bombs that went off at the finish line. You'll remember that. They couldn't go out on that note. And so they determined to give it one more year, and they came back, and the next year, the Boston Marathon ran their final marathon together. Uh, Boston recognized them by sculpting a bronze statue that sits at the starting line for the Boston Marathon of, of both of them. And uh, what you don't know is that they're, they're Christians and, and they trust that God has been in the trial. Listen to me. We just saw the highlights and you tend to look at that stuff and go, oh, that, boy, that's so great. So great. But what we didn't see is the 24-7, 365. Changing clothes, picking up, moving, feeding, all that had to be done. Trials are difficult. But God is in the trial and works through the trial. And he works through yours as well. Father, I want to thank you so much this morning for your grace. And I thank you that you're not only with us in the good times when everything's going smooth, but you're with us when, when we have those bumps in the road or when we have those unbelievable life-altering tragedies that we have to deal with. But God, I want to thank you that you give us, through your Spirit, the capacity to be able to endure as difficult as it can seem to be. 
And I pray this morning for folks here who are going through trials right now. And I ask, Lord, that they would be quick to surrender themselves to you and allow you to do the work that you're doing. And Father, in those trials, I pray that you would take our lack of faith, you would take the impurities in our lives, and, and you would help to just skim those off so that we can reflect you. And as we go out of this building this morning, may we go into this community and reflect your love to all we encounter. And it's in the mighty name of Jesus I pray. Amen. Christ community, I want to thank you for being here today. I, I trust that you'll have a great week. Go, let's serve our King together and reflect His love. We'll see you next week. Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page.